Well, good morning, everyone. We'll try that again. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. I trust that all week you've been preparing for this time of corporate worship, that you've been preparing your hearts for worship, that you're not just coming in this morning uh, thinking that this is all it is, but that you've been preparing yourself. Uh, we have a lot in store for us uh, this morning, and we are looking forward to being able to worship together. Um, as we're getting ourselves started, let me go over a few announcements with all of you so you kind of know what's going on. Um, most of this stuff is in the bulletin. Note that today is the deadline for the early bird price for the ladies' evening of elegance on June 13th. So ladies, you'll want to take note of that. You'll also read an invitation to be involved in an important summer ministry. We have some openings for pinch hitters to fill gaps in the nursery uh, to care for our young ones this summer. So uh, we could really use your help there. Uh, you can read about how to support EG Ministries on May 30th with a walk, run, rock in Alden. Um, an invitation from a sister church to join them for an evening of outdoor worship on May 30th. A second and final AED training, and there are details in the bulletin about that. There's also an insert about a men's life skills day in the bulletin. Um, there'll be all sorts of stuff like heavy equipment here that you can try out uh, for those who are 12 and older. So you'll want to take note of that and come to that and enjoy that. And then one other insert, uh, you can help Alden Bible Camp with needed craft items, general items, food items, and there's a whole list that's in the bulletin. So uh, take some time this morning, not during the message, but when you get home, to read the bulletin, to check out the inserts, and know what's going on over the next few weeks here in the life at Alden Union Church. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that we have an opportunity to worship, and this morning particularly as we dedicate children and recognize service, um, we give you thanks and praise for all of that. All these good things come from you ultimately. And as we meet, we pray that uh, you would become really the focus of our thanks and praise and our honor, and that you would be pleased with what goes on in our hearts, what comes out of our lips. And as we leave this place, that we would be continuing to serve you in that way. In Christ's name, amen. The first half of the service is almost like a Thanksgiving service in a way, and uh, you'll see as we go along why I say that. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song which gives us a chance to express our thanks to the Lord for what He's done.
songs of freedom. Because I win because of your love. Yeah. As we come into your presence, we remember every blessing that you poured out so freely from above. Lifting gratitude and praises for compassion so amazing. Lord, we come to give you thanks for all you've done. Because of your love, time we have the privilege of dedicating a number of children to the Lord. What I'd like to first of all do is to recognize those of you who are here who are family members of the children who are going to be dedicated or special friends who are here to join with the families in this celebration. So if you're a family member or you're here as a special friend of the family, would you please stand so that we can welcome you in a special way. Thank you. Please be seated. Dedication ceremony is not something that is commanded in the Scriptures, so we'd like to be very careful to explain to you the significance to which we attach to it. First of all, it's a fun time. It's one of the best times that we have all year long. There will be a lot of smiles. Um, I guarantee that. A lot of smiles, especially as you see the children. And this is something, by the way, that is completely unrehearsed. Uh, by that, it means the families here have very little idea of what is expected of them. First thing I'm going to ask them to do, those of you that are dedicating children, if you would come up and stand here to my right, and you might have to swing over into the aisle a little bit, and we're going in alphabetical order by family name. And if you don't have that down, uh, I'll give you that in a little bit. But if you come up here, 
Oh, why don't all the rest of you come up here too? We've got to get so it's a special joy for us to spend this time together with the parents and the families and to dedicate the children. Remember, they're here because they love the Lord Jesus Christ and their children are very special to them. And we acknowledge that their children are very special to the Lord Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 10, we read that people were bringing children, Luke says babies, to Jesus that he might touch them. Matthew adds to the fact that we pray for them. They were prayed for also. But you know what happened? The disciples rebuked them. People bringing children to the Lord Jesus. That was a custom of the day for them, rabbis, to be blessing children, but they rebuked the parents. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I'd like to remind all of us of three very important aspects of dedication. First of all, we recognize from all over the Bible, but in particular, Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, the children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. They're a reward. Did you hear that? Parents all hear that? They're a reward and a blessing. And so we pause this morning to give thanks to the Lord for the children he's given as a blessing and as a reward to the families that are here represented. This is something that's very important, too, because whenever we do something, we want to be sure that nobody attaches to something that we can do, the salvation of any individual. So we recognize that in the ceremony of dedicating children to the Lord, there's no saving merit. Each child will have to make his or her own independent decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Still by grace, we're saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So no one is saved by doing anything, by giving money, getting baptized, joining church, getting dedicated, not even going on missions trips or doing more good than the next person. There's no rite, no ritual, no formality that saves. Only a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that Mackenzie just amen? Okay. So these parents are publicly acknowledging that God has given them a privilege and a stewardship. They're pledging that by the grace of God, they're going to teach by precept and example and correction when necessary. That won't happen often, I'm sure, for any of you. But they're going to do that to these precious children so that as early as possible, they'll be given the opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by a decision of their own. And then finally, our parents are not the only ones who have a responsibility with these children. They're part of a church family, and all of us have a responsibility. We're going to be praying for these children and their families and encouraging them and supporting them and helping them. Some of you may be very, very important in the lives of these children. Some of you may be the ones that they look to in certain times as you have the opportunity in many ways to influence their lives. So before presenting the children for dedication, I'm going to ask each of you to reconfirm your personal faith and purpose by answering these two questions. And if you agree with the question, the proper response would be, I do. Do you publicly acknowledge that you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? 
Do you purpose by the grace of God to show a godly life to your children and in due time teach them the word of God, all the while praying that they will personally receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? I'm going to read the full names of all of the children, then we'll dedicate each one individually in just a moment. Mackenzie Grace George, daughter of David and Amanda George. Jenna Faith Graham, daughter of David and Sarah Graham. Aubrey Kathleen, Fallon Marie, and Justin Joseph Colbrenner, children of Robert and Kristen Colbrenner. Noah Curtis Pennington, son of Ron and Kelly Pennington. Zoe Renee Pentecost, daughter of John and Melissa Pentecost. Connor Keaton and Caitlin Elizabeth Smith, children of Christopher and Kimberly Smith. And Connor Elias Thompson, son of John and Jessica Thompson. Mackenzie, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You go behind me all the way to the end. You got it. God bless you. Hi. Hi, Jenna. Jenna, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you think I can lift you up, or would you rather I put my hand on your head? I'll put my hand on your head, okay? Aubrey, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I could have lifted you up if I had to. Okay, Fallon. And Fallon, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Justin, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can I keep him just a little while? He's, he looks really comfortable. Oh, okay, there we go. He said no. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks, girls. Hi, big guy. Hi. And Noah, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, guys, how you doing? Uh-uh. I got it. Okay, thanks. This is a young lady that's had a very difficult first part of her life. Many of you have been praying for her. Please continue to pray for her. And we're delighted at the work the Lord is doing in her Zoe, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, can I pick you up for a second? Just for a second? (laughs) Connor, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, can I pick you up? There we go. 
Caitlin, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. least in the pictures, the best dressed guy of all of them. (laughs) Connor, I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it's our turn. We said before that all of us as part of the church family have a part in the raising of these children in a very special way. Will you stand right now, both symbolically and also in actuality, let these families know we're standing with them, and you're going to be joining me in prayer right now, the first of many times we're going to be praying for these children and these families. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize that we have been gifted. These families have been gifted. This church has been gifted. Thank you so very, very much for the reward. Thank you for the heritage of these children. And we do pray that as the parents have indicated a desire to bring them up to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that that will actually come to fruition, that each of these children will one day be in heaven, that each of these children will be servants of yours, that each of these children will continue to be a blessing to their parents, not just because they're young and cute, but because they're servants of yours. So we thank you for this and thank you for the excitement and energy that we have as we see young lives and acknowledge the great gift you've given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Yes. Okay. You can be seated then. In addition to those that it does work, In addition to those that are here with their family, I'm sure there are some other visitors as well. And if you'd like to have some information about the church, we'd like to ask you to just slip up your hand and Pastor Thompson will come by and hand you a packet. If you'd like to know more about the activities, there's a visitor booth out in the uh, narthex. There's also, after this hour, a Bible school for all ages. So like to find a class to attend or a class for your children, there'll be folks out there that'll be glad to help you find the right place to go. Just slip up your hand and we'll get you some information. We're glad you're here. Glad you chose to worship with us. Take a few moments and greet those around you. And if you see someone that's not familiar, welcome them especially. Maybe they've been here a long time, maybe not, but don't be a stranger to them. So let's take just a few moments to greet each other.
Good morning. Hi. <laughs> Last June, our friend and colleague, John Bailey, retired from the position, his position as facilities manager here at Alden Union Church, a position where he served the Lord and us for 34 years, beginning in 1980. During those 34 years, John worked with many trustee board members and eight different board presidents, including George Craven, Bill Upson, Everett Danahauer, Bob Alexander, David Pennington, Tom Shiko, Sonny King, and Bill Harris. After the service today, you will all receive a view from the pew where you can read about the life and times of John and Donna Bailey. <laughs> Bill Harris, Sonny King, and I are representing those board presidents this morning, and Bill Ressler is representing the Council of Elders. Right now, Bill Harris has a presentation. Good morning. It's my pleasure to present to John and to read to you a resolution that was passed at our board meeting in April. It says, Resolution adopted by the Board of Trustees, Alden Union Church, April 21st, 2015, honoring John Bailey. Whereas Mr. John Bailey has retired as facilities manager of Alden Union Church in June 2014, the board hereby recognizes John for his diligent service, steadfast dedication, and his devotion to the Lord over his 34 years of service. Whereas John has served as building superintendent and facility manager from 1980 to 2014, he has overseen the renovation of the chapel in 1990, the purchase and development of Providence Park in 2002, the renovation of the sanctuary platform area and fellowship hall in 2003, and the addition of the gym and education building in 2007. Through all these projects and expansions, John's expertise and experience were invaluable to their success. Whereas John served as choir director from 1982 to 1989, he used his considerable musical talents to enhance the worship here at Old Union Church. His tenure is fondly remembered by many of the current choir members. John and his wife Donna have continued to share their musical talents with the congregation up to this very day. Whereas John has mentored over 35 youth in the church's maintenance department, many of these men and women continue to attend and serve Alden Union Church. John has had a very positive influence over this large group of people over the many years of service. John has diligently served the Board of Trustees under several board presidents, House Committee Chairman, and dozens of board members. John's experience has been invaluable to the board and the church. His knowledge of the buildings, systems, and history of the church cannot be replaced. Therefore, be it resolved that this Board of Trustees expresses its collective sincere appreciation to Mr. John Bailey for his love and service to the Lord and to the congregation of Alden Union Church for the last 35 years. Furthermore, the Board and this church extend to John, his wife Donna, and his entire family our love, our gratitude, and our thanks. Thank you, John.
John and Donna, on behalf of the boards and the congregation, we would like to present you with this engraved mantle clock that is engraved with John Bailey in appreciation for 34 years of service at Alden Union Church. Also, we hope you will enjoy this gift card for a weekend getaway at a bed and breakfast of your choice. (laughs) Sonny has a special presentation now, and then Bill Ressler will close in prayer. (laughs) A few months ago, uh, John was showing me around his office, and in one of the drawers was... uh, This book, The Lost Art of Steam Heating. (laughs) John was getting nostalgic about it. And I said, John, why don't you take it with you? We don't have steam boilers anymore. (laughs) And he said, I couldn't do that. Church paid for it. (laughs) So I'm going to present this to Donna (laughs) and say, please let him keep it. John, Donna, you finally made the cover of the view from the pew. (laughs) So we have prayer, please. Father, we thank you for John and Donna and for their faithful service to you over these many years. We thank you for all those in the body here at Alden Union who have been gifted by you to serve our great head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for John and Donna and for their example to us of faithfulness and service. Now also we commit Sonny King to you as he uh, takes over this very important uh, ministry of facilities manager. So many responsibilities in these buildings for upkeep and we pray for your strength daily for him and for Jenny as they uh, move ahead with this ministry. We thank you for this opportunity to recognize John and Donna and we thank you for the way they've exalted you in so many areas of their ministry. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We just pray, Lord, for our church family, Lord, for the different things going on, for just for, uh, Lord, for our, our missionary personnel. We pray, Father, you would be with them, that you would keep them safe. We pray for our country's leaders, Lord, for our president, for our Congress, for all the men and women that are in leadership. We just pray, Father, a special blessing on them. We just pray, Lord, for our college students as they're finishing up different uh, colleges around the country, that they would finish strong, that you would be with them as they have finals and uh, last-minute things to do. And, Lord, we just pray for our elders and our trustees 
and just pray for them as they lead us and guide us. And Lord, we thank you for this offering. We just pray that as it is taken, that you would use the money so you would multiply it, that you would just allow it to spread your word around the world. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.
not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind still. John, time for children to be dismissed to kids' worship. And while they're doing that, or when they're done, if you'll stand, we're going to be looking some more at the Lord's Prayer and this week talking about the battles that we face against the evil one. And we have a God who has already defeated him and promise to help us do that in our daily life. Let's praise Him for that this morning. Just be 
Be seated. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore having as shoes for your feet, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Can we bring the drummer and the percussionist back again just for that? Those little, that's, <laughs> let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thanks for the excitement of this time together. And thank you for being part of a family. And thank you for John and Donna being part of this family for so long. And thank you for the children that represent that as well, that uh, earlier we were able to dedicate. Thank you so much for your great love for us. And thank you now that as we look to your word, that we have here that which can be very, very encouraging and comforting to each one of us, and I trust that it will be. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn your Bibles initially to Matthew chapter 6. We've been studying the Lord's Prayer, and actually we're going to conclude that study this morning. But if you look at verse 9, here's what the Lord Jesus said to pray a sample prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm certain that all of us believe that war is real. Am I correct in that assumption? We believe that war is real. It's not imaginary. It's not a fairy tale. Some of you have fought in wars, and you've seen firsthand the grim reality of their awfulness. All of us have heard about war. We've read about it. We've studied it. We've seen movies. We've seen TV programs. <laughs> Is there a, a police officer here? <laughs> we understand that. The reality of war is something that is absolutely real, but it's also something that can be very ugly. But there's another kind of warfare that's just as real. And sometimes we don't give it the due that we should. We're in the middle of a colossal cosmic mega war that goes on all around us, even at this very moment, in realms that are not visible to us. That's what we often call spiritual warfare. We can't really see it, but we see evidence of it all over, including some of those scenes of the actual warfare that we pictured just a moment ago. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me right now, in Ephesians chapter 6 that Bill just read for us a few moments ago, 
we have details of that spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 and verses 10 through 18 declare that war is real. In fact, more real than the shooting wars that we think of when we mention the term war. But if you glance again at verse 10, we're told to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Because if we're not strong in Him, then we're going to be very, very weak. We're told to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. But then notice carefully in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What we do, but beyond that, the forces that bring that about are what is in view here. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the warfare really takes place. What we don't see. And sometimes we get all caught up in what we do see and we think that's what the warfare is all about. But it's behind the scenes. When it talks about rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, they're actually the ranks of the evil ones, the the evil angels, the demonic spirits under the control of Satan. And so as we read through here, it's necessary, it tells us here, to be fully equipped so that we can stand. Not fully equipped so that we can go to war in some country somewhere else in a part of the world. But every day the warfare is manifesting itself against us, particularly those who desire to live godly lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. So for some of us, this spiritual warfare, we haven't really seen it yet because we can't see it through our eyes. We haven't caught it exactly. It's a vague, abstract, shadowy, fuzzy concept. Hasn't really gripped us. But if it hasn't gripped us yet, it will soon. Look around at the evil in our world today. And I know there's been evil since the very, very beginning, but you look around at the evil that is going on at our time today. You look at some of the things that are unimaginably evil, diabolical in nature. You look at it and you say, yeah, I I can begin to see behind the scenes what is fanning all of this. I understand the force of evil. I understand the whole idea of satanic behavior that's going on. You know, in the meantime, people were becoming more and more frightened. People like us were getting frightened at the hatred and the savagery that's being directed around the world to Jews, to Christians, to authority figures, to those who have different opinions than we do. On a personal level, even to annoying drivers. You see the absolute rage that is there. And it's not once or twice. It's all the time. And we understand that something's going on and evil is getting multiplied. Listen to the words that make headlines. Terrorism, extermination, annihilation, genocide, and again, more personal and more close to home, road rage, random violence. One could become very fearful, couldn't one, if we let ourselves... Think about the evil and the multiplication of evil. Do you feel safe? Not a lot of people are feeling all that safe today because of what's going on. This is a great time for us to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples, and it's come down to us to pray for deliverance from evil and from the evil one. God's our protector. He's our deliverer. He's our champion. 
We need to understand that. Even if we can't see physically, we need to understand by faith because what's going on, what we can't see, is more real than what we can. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, please. 2 Kings chapter 6. If you're having trouble finding it, it's right after 1 Kings. Second Kings chapter 6, and we'll pick up the story in verse 8. It starts out by saying, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, and that was probably King Ben-Hadad, he was warring against Israel, and he got very upset because it seemed like every time he would make camp somewhere, the people of Israel would find out about it. And everything that he did seemed as if they had someone who was a spy right in his inner circle telling them what was happening, evading him and evading the schemes that he had against them. Uh, So much so that by the time we get down to verse 11, it says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. In other words, there's no spy among us, but somehow this prophet Elisha knows everything that goes on. Now, you would have thought that would have garnered a little respect by Ben-Hadad toward Elisha, but no, he decides... I'm going to, verse 13, he says, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him because he is in Dothan. Behold, I'm sorry, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm sure the servant looked around at that point. What do you mean, those that are with us? I'm not, I'm seeing you, Elisha, and I'm seeing me. I'm not seeing anybody else. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the story goes on. But my prayer and my thought for each of us this morning is that we have that experience even by faith to recognize there is a lot of evil going on prompted by the evil one himself. And yet, the Lord says, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be comforted. I want you to know my protection. I want you to know that I'm your champion. I want you to have your eyes open by faith and look around and see. It's not just evil that is present. Good is present as well. And so when we're looking at the Lord's prayer and we're told to pray, deliver us from evil, first of all, there's a question that arises. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one? Which is the correct translation? How many of you have a translation in front of you that says, deliver us from evil? And how many of you have a translation that says, deliver us from the evil one? Um, you can see that it's, it's really mixed. In Matthew 6.13, we have a difference of opinion in the object of the preposition from. 
I surveyed 20 translations and found that 12 of them translated, deliver us from the evil one. And eight translations said, deliver us from evil. Just a quick sampling. How many of you are carrying an NIV today? Either in your hand or on a a screen somewhere. Okay. Uh, How about anybody here with an HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, several? How about the New Living Translation? Any New Living Translations? Okay, a few. Um, The New English Translation? Anybody with a New English Translation or the Net Bible? Sometimes it's referred to uh, very few. Okay, well, they all translate this, the evil one, deliver us from the evil one. How many with an ESV? Okay, a number of you. How about the New American Standard Bible? Any New American Standards? A few. How about the King James Version? Among us, uh, a few. Translation there is deliver us from evil. So you can see the division that is there among the translations that we're carrying ourselves. Which one is it? Is it deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one? Well, in the Greek language, apotupaneru is the prepositional phrase that is there. What does it exactly mean? Well, here's the problem. It can be either neuter or masculine. If it's neuter, it's referring to a thing normally. If it's masculine, it's referring to a person. But the problem is the spelling, the endings of these particular tenses are, are, are identical in every way in the context here. Both evil and the evil one make grammatical and theological sense. So it becomes very difficult to translate this with absolute certainty. I prefer translating it deliver us from the evil one for a couple of reasons. According to D.A. Carson, if you're a theologian, that's E.F. Hutton. Um, when D.A. Carson speaks... You see it in so many other commentaries. So many other people will quote him and use him as the ultimate authority. According to him, the preposition apo is predominantly used of deliverance from persons. And then there's another preposition, ek, translated often from, that could be used here instead, but it isn't. And that would indicate a deliverance from evil things. So because of apo instead of ek, Deliver us from a person, not deliver us from a thing. And also, I think this should be deliver us from the evil one because of the close proximity of the devil's temptation of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 4. One writer summarized Matthew 6.13 this way, Do not allow us to be led into temptation to evil, but deliver us from the evil one. But no matter how you translate it, We're praying that God would deliver us from the evil one and the evil that he inspires and instills all over the world. What happens when you add a D to evil? Uh, You get devil. They're inextricably intertwined. It's very hard to separate the devil from evil or Satan from the evil things that are going on. So in this sense, either translation makes sense. Satan and evil belong together, so deliver us from evil that the evil one gives us, or deliver us from the evil one who gives us the evil. What we're asking the Lord to do is to deliver us from that which we can't see. My dad used to pray all the time, protect us from danger seen and unseen. You could take that in a lot of ways, but one of those ways is that there is danger going on that we can't see, and we trust that the Lord is working on our behalf. Here's a comforting thought at the outset. The word that's translated from the Greek as deliver is the word ruomai. Ruomai means to draw to oneself like a current 
pulling you along in the water. It's more than merely being delivered or rescued from something or someone. God is rescuing, protecting by drawing us to himself like a current brings something to you. So we're not just rescued. We're drawn into his loving presence and protection. Deliver us from evil. It is very personal. And he's drawing us to himself as he's delivering us from evil. And I trust that that's a very comforting thought for each one of us. Well, how does God deliver us from the evil one? How does he do it? I'm going to list seven possible answers to this. The first way is by his providence. What do we mean by his providence? God is actively involved in our lives. God orders the normal events of everyday life. God knows when the sparrow hits the ground and we're worth a lot more than the sparrows. God knows everything that is going on. God is in control. God loves us and has a plan for us. It's his providence. When we say deliver us from evil, remember who we're talking to. Our Father in heaven. Deliver us from the evil one. And how does he do it? First of all, by his providence. First Peter chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? God sees, God knows, God is everywhere. He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, He's omnipotent, He's everywhere. And His providential care in our lives is one way in which He delivers us from the evil one. There's another way he does it, through his precepts. Another way of saying he does it through his word. He gives us direct commands, and he gives us clear principles that show us how to fight in this great war and to receive his greatest benefits and his protection at the same time. If we live by this book that is here before us, then we have the protection of God, and we have God in a position to deliver us from evil. One example, last week we talked about far and close and how to handle temptation in God's way. Far was an acronym. We flee the temptation or we avoid it or we resist the devil. That resisting the devil, one precept that we looked at together. If we resist the devil, we're told, he'll flee from us. But what happens when we don't resist? What happens when we cooperate or maybe dabble just a little in the things of Satan or the occult. What happens when we don't resist him? That's when we expose ourselves in total vulnerability to the schemes and the power of Satan. When we don't resist Satan, he doesn't flee. Instead, he tries to make further inroads. He gets his foot in the door and pushes. How do we open the door to Satan? How do we not resist him? Lots of ways. Through the music that we listen to that honors Satan and dishonors the Lord. I did a little study of this just to see I'm not up on current music. I confess that. In a moment, I'll be quoting some famous artists. I won't even pronounce their names correctly, probably. And I don't apologize for that. I'm not right in the middle of all of that, and you can understand that. But translate if you have to or interpret. But through the music we listen to that honors Satan, and there is a lot of music out there 
that is specifically designed to honor Satan. I'm not talking about subliminal messages, and I'm not talking about something that is hinted at. I'm talking about something that is absolutely blatant. How do we open the door to Satan? Through occultic activities. People who want to get involved in seances and witchcraft and Ouija boards and astrology and movies and satanic literature and websites that are dabbling in satanic things and people wearing satanic signs and emblems that are going on. Do you think Satan feels he's being resisted when all of those things are involved in our lives? We have a health, an unhealthy fascination with what is dark. Do you think Satan feels he's being resisted when we do that? Absolutely not. Here's a big one. Even the root word, if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll find that one of the root words for drugs is an occultic term. And so people who are involved in drugs are opening themselves up to the satanic influence that is there, including alcohol. Kids' TV programs aren't safe. Now, I have to go back a long time before I remember watching kids' programs, but there was Dungeons and Dragons back in my time, and uh, you examined that carefully and understood there was, a, there was a message there that was real and it was not a good one. Forms of meditation and cults. How else do we not resist Satan? Whenever we disobey God, we're not resisting Satan. There was an Internet article, and it said, Which music stars are accused of being Satan-worshipping industry puppets? And what they were saying was that the industry itself is trying its best to cultivate Satanism in the part of the artists, many of the artists that are there. Now, some of these will probably surprise you. Some of them you'll say, no, that person's squeaky clean. That can't possibly be right. Um, I can't speak to that because this is not my area, and I don't want to, I don't want to read a whole lot about this. And so we have names like this, which music stars are accused of being Satan worshipers? Nick Jonas, they said he looks clean, but you look at satanic symbolism and that sort of thing that he wears even. Lady Gaga, Ozzy Osbourne, Marilyn Manson, Trent Reznor, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce, Jay Rihanna, Madonna. There were 10 that they mentioned. I don't know whether all of them are arguable or not, but I think the point is clear that all around us are opportunities for us to cozy up to the things of Satan instead of to resist How does God deliver us from the evil one? God grants us his protection. We don't have to be frightened at the prospect of having a formidable enemy. Some people are almost paralyzed into inactivity for the Lord because of the threat of taking on Satan in combat. They would rather play it safe. Remember, it's those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus who will be persecuted. So if you don't want to be persecuted, don't live godly in Christ Jesus. That's how some people will view this. If we resist Satan, if we follow God's precepts, we have his protection. We will not be removed from the presence of evil. Otherwise, we'd have to be taken out of the world. But we sure can feel the effects of the evil. But we're being drawn to the deliverance of our Heavenly Father for all time. Deliver us from evil. Put me in that current that is bringing me to you for your protection. That's what we're praying. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. A lot of evil out there. Elisha's prayer, open his eyes so that he can really see what's going on. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. The story has a happy ending. Some of the chapters are ugly, but it has a happy ending. Same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Here's how God views the evil and the problems and the things that are going on in our lives. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Daniel felt the effects of evil, but God protected him from a den of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt the effects of evil, fiery furnace, but God protected them. But you know what? With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know that story. Even if death is the result, it's because God knows what is best. And God, even if something bad happens to us, God says, I can take that and I can turn that into good no matter what it is. But in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is when they were exposed as followers of God and would not worship Nebuchadnezzar and the image to Nebuchadnezzar. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What are they saying? (laughs) Our God is able to take care of us. Should he choose not to let us live? It's okay. It doesn't matter. We're not going to worship you. We're still going to worship God. And that's the attitude. No matter what's going on around us, we still worship God. Please understand this. We're not exempt from the consequences of living in an evil world. But the evil is limited by God's sovereign permission in what anyone can do to us. It will only be what God knows is best for us. I don't often quote from the Amplified Bible, but let me read you one verse from John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, We know, and then absolutely, that anyone born of God does not deliberately and knowingly practice committing sin. But the one who was begotten of God, that would be Jesus, carefully watches over and protects him. Christ's divine presence within him preserves him against the evil, and the wicked one does not lay hold, get a grip on him, or touch him. How does God deliver us from the evil one? God's protection is there. God's protection is there even though evil is all around us, and even though evil may touch us, God's sovereign. Only what's best gets through his filter. How else does God deliver us from the evil one? The Bible talks about his power. Why do some people get into Satanism? Those who've come out say it's because of the power they receive. They really like that power that comes from being affiliated and associated with Satan. There's a greater power in the Lord. Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus was talking to the Sadducees. He said, you're wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And in Colossians chapter 2, there's reference made there to the Lord Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of all of that. Everyone bows the knee to him. 
And in 2 Peter, reference is made to His divine power. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. How does God deliver us from the evil one? Also through His promises. Some of these are intertwined. The promises that we find in His Word. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. These are great promises that God gives to us. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we've seen this verse before. We saw this last week. God won't let us to be tempted beyond our ability. He'll provide the way of escape always for us. How does God deliver us from the evil one? His panoply, His armor that we've already spoken of and read in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. And then the prayer that the Lord Jesus offered. John chapter 17. We refer to this as His high priestly prayer. He's praying for people of that time, but then He goes on to say, and I also want to offer this prayer for those who will be saved as a result of the ministry of these people who are here right now. Through the apostles' ministry and then everyone else, I'm praying this prayer. I want to pray a prayer that they would be one, that they would be united, and I want to pray a prayer that literally, He says, that they will be protected from the evil one. Jesus praying, protect my people from the evil one. One, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one. In First John chapter two, verses one and two, my little children, I'm I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. The NIV says one who speaks to the Father in our defense. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, what part do we have in being delivered from the evil one? We do have a part, and I'll go through this very quickly. The first thing we have a part in, we practice His presence. We understand His providential care. We rejoice in that. We know that He's there with us and for us. So we practice His presence. We obey God's precepts. That's one of the ways in which He delivers us from evil, is giving us His Word, so we need to obey. That's our part in it. We practice His presence. We rejoice in that. We obey God's precepts. We're confident of His protection. We use His power. We don't store it. We claim His promises. We read some of them a little bit early. We claim them. And again, we rejoice in them. We exalt in them. We put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. That's that word panoply. And we pray, even as Jesus prayed and prays, to be delivered from the evil one. I asked you earlier, do you feel safe? I hope you feel safer than you did before. Because God is a mighty God. We sang about Him, and you sang so beautifully. It was, it was something that was a message all by itself as we prepared for the message. What a great God and powerful God He is.
Let's thank Him together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that even as we look at this one expression, deliver us from evil, that that's what You want to do. That's what You do do. But we need to cooperate. So help us to cooperate. Help us to recognize how You do it. And then stay close to Your Word and to recognize that You have our best interest in mind. And that current is drawing us into Your personal presence, delivering us from that evil and the evil one. And we thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We can have great confidence because of what we just heard to face what goes against us. Let's stand and sing that as we leave this morning.
Dr. I is a master of reinforcing the message with the words of these songs, and I hope that we'll be singing them throughout the day and the week. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are Lord Sabaoth, that you are the God of angel armies. You're the God who's never tasted defeat, and you're the God who stands beside us. As we leave here, may we leave with confidence, confidence that in that unseen world, that what we can't see by our eyes, we can see by faith and understand that the victory belongs to you. Thanks for letting us be on the winning side. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. So